Welcome to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast with Jacob Ayers, providing actionable content to help you along your journey to financial freedom through real estate investing. As the premier asset class, real estate has helped ordinary people just like you amass fortunes. The benefits of passive income from real estate investing will allow you to live a life you want. And now your host, entrepreneur, real estate investor, and apartment deal syndicator, Jacob Ayers. Hi, and welcome to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast, episode 282. Hi, I'm your host, Jacob Ayers. Welcome back to this week's episode. Hey, I'm so glad you're here. Today's guest is Jim Murray. Over the past 10 years, Jim's multifamily real estate investments have blossomed into a successful property management company. As an investor himself, Jim intimately understands the needs of the investor landlord. In today's interview, Jim and I discuss how he went from house hacking his very first fourplex to now controlling multiple investment properties and having a property management company with over 600 units under management. All kinds of great stuff here, so let's go ahead and jump right into it. All right, today, welcome on the show, Jim Murray. Jim, hey, thanks so much for joining us. Jacob, thanks for having me. Really excited to be here and hopefully share some valuable experience with the listeners. I know you're going to. Well, Jim, before we get into all that, can you take a minute, tell us about who you are, your background, your journey, just all that good stuff. Absolutely. So 35,000 foot view. I am a millennial house hacker turned corporate dropout. So I used my <laughs> house hacking ability to get into kind of full-time landlording, which is also known as property management, in order to quit my nine to five by the age of 27. And property management is a grind, but it allowed me the time and financial freedom to do a lot more of the things that I wanted to do. I love it. Was this an accidental path that you kind of stumbled in or was this an intentional path that you really you know, wanted to get into property management and be that full-time real estate investor? Yeah. So absolutely accidental. I always want to be that passive investor, but wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth. Always had to work really hard for what I had. And I just figured out that I was really good at speaking to tired landlords. Yeah. Awesome. So tell us about how you kind of made that transition from a house hacker. Well, let's back up. Tell us about house hacking first. You know, uh, yeah. When did you do that and how did that go for you? Yeah. So fresh out of school at 23 with my bachelor's in finance, I decided to start house hacking when I still had my full-time job. And honestly, my dad told me it was going to be the worst decision I ever made. Um, <laughs> but you know, I've had a ton of success with it and had a ton of fun. But coming out of college, so I graduated from Ohio State University in 2010. So shout out to all my Buckeyes fans out there. There you go. <laughs> and I didn't realize how good of a market I came out in, right? So 2010, a lot of money still on the sidelines. People aren't buying properties. There are a lot of distressed assets. And I was able to lock up my first four family for $140,000, which is insanely cheap. So just to give you perspective, that's four units as I bang on the calculator here, roughly 35,000 a piece. I was able to get the property stabilized in six months with uh, $10,000 out of pocket. Initial out of pocket, which I refunded my cash reserves with cash flow when I was able to place tenants. Now properties in that neighborhood are trading for $100,000 a unit seven years later. Wow. Um, and where was so that at, Jim? That's in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. 
Okay. So it's probably about an hour south of Boston for those folks not familiar with New England geography. Yeah, got it. Okay. I know that kind of like New England cluster, folks get a little crossed up. I'm from the East Coast, so I know the East Coast. The Midwest, I get a little crossed up in the Midwest. So. <laughs> there you go. So fourplex for $140,000. How did you buy that? Was it a low down payment uh, loan? What did that look like? Yep. So a lot of folks talk about FHA loans for house hacking, which are really important because the name of the game is leverage. You always want to leverage your capital to the best of your ability. I'm not saying to over lever yourself, but using the right amount of leverage is going to help you build your wealth that much more rapidly. So I used a 5% down product on that $140,000 purchase. It was similar to an FHA product, but I went to my local housing agency. It's called Rhode Island Housing. And they had a product where you did not have to pay private mortgage insurance if you had a 700 plus credit score. So on top of um, having a strong W-2 job where you can afford the property with or without the cash flow, having a strong credit score is going to help you out initially as well. Not only getting you into the product or into a better product like I was able to accomplish, but also getting you a lower interest rate. Because if you have poor credit and you have to pay that higher interest rate, that's detracting from the monthly cash flow that you could pocket yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So you do this low down payment, 5% down, no PMI, which is a really cool deal. You get in the property, you live in one unit. Are the other units rent ready at this point? Are they <laughs> no. a total mess? Tell us about that. Yeah. So like, I'm a grinder by nature, right? I had to come up from, you know, my parents were always able to provide for us, but you know, just really the basics. And that just showed me how to hustle. So always had to get out there and grind. So the first year I owned that property, every single weekend, I was there putting in work. And probably the first six months, I was painting the vacant units. So I did have one inherited tenant and then two empty units. But just to give you guys a little insight, three days before closing, the listing agent called my agent and told him, hey, the third floor tenants haven't paid rent in three months. And he's like, man, this is a short sale. We've been in a contract for seven months. This is ridiculous. They better be gone. On the day of closing, final walkthrough, thank God they were gone, used cat litter throughout the entire unit. It was absolutely disgusting. Oh, man. And as gross as that is, I'd rather have an empty unit with no tenants and deal with used cat litter. So that gives you perspective of the work that I had to put in. Even on the day of closing, went back, cleaned it up. But I went through and I started painting every unit. And now I wasn't a good painter. I hadn't painted a ton before, but I learned a really valuable lesson. A lot of times when we get started, as investors, we're naturally cheap, but you kind of want to be frugal to find that value. You don't want to be penny wise and dollar dumb. And a move that I made is I went directly to Home Depot and it was cool that I used the Home Depot financing to buy the products in order to bring it back to the house. I had that interest-free financing on the Home Depot card for 12 to 24 months, but I bought Glidden paint. I don't mean to bang on Glidden, but that's probably the worst decision I made when I bought that first house hack. I went through 35 gallons of paint on three units. Wow. It was textured walls, extremely watered down paint. I was painting over really hideous colors. I would say go out there and find yourselves a good paint. It's going to take less time. It is going to be slightly more expensive, but go to Sherwin or buy a Bear Premium or Benjamin Moore. I'm a firm believer in Sherwin Williams paints, but it's going to help you with the next turnover too. So what I realized once I placed tenants a couple of years later when it turned over, the walls are dirty. I go and I'm washing down the walls because I use the cheapest glid and paint because I didn't know any better. And the paint's coming off the walls as I clean it. So you want to use that higher end paint so you can go in there and wash the walls or maybe paint one wall. But that's a really big piece of advice that I would pass on to newbie investors. If you're going to go in there and paint, spend the money on the right paint. It's going to pay in spades in the long run. 
Yeah. So I really like what you said there with the penny wise dollar dumb. Kind of elaborate what you mean there. Just as is a kind of a philosophy in investing in real estate, if you will. Yeah. So it's all about finding value. So I had a conversation with an investor this morning and he was up on his roof and he was going to repoint his chimney and he could see daylight straight through the chimney. It was tall. It was old. And as he's up on the roof, he's thinking about how he has two old heating systems in the basement that he's probably going to have to replace. Now, what most people, and I don't know if this is local to New England or across the country, a lot of times when you replace heating systems, you also have to replace the chimney liner in the chimney. So he's looking at repointing the chimney. He's looking at redoing the chimney liner and replacing two old heating systems. He thinks that all in cost is probably going to be about 12000 And those are for standard gas-fired boilers. He takes a step back and he says, well, do I need the chimney if I install high-efficiency systems? He looks into it. The high-efficiency systems are going to cost him 15000 So we're looking at 12000 for standard efficiency. Still going to have to fix the chimney, take care of those issues, or install high-efficiency boilers for 15000 and he went with the 15000 because he recognized there was more value because it's not just installing those high-efficiency boilers, which hopefully better service your tenants, but now it's a marketing point as well. So when he's in a B-demographic neighborhood, and now he can use that as some marketing knowledge when he brings tenants in, he's like, hey, listen, I've made the right investments. I've got newer heating systems. They're high-efficiency. It's going to be lower heating costs for you as a tenant, and it's brand new, so hopefully you don't have any issues. So that's the point in finding value as an investor. It's not always going the cheapest route. It's investing your dollars correctly. So you're not penny wise and dollar dumb. Yeah, that's a great point there. You know, I think lots of times beginning investors, you know, want to go out, do things, you know, as economical as possible. But sometimes you have to kind of balance that cost versus reward in the future, right? You don't necessarily want to go in and put the cheapest finishings and the just cheapest quality things in your investment property because in turn, you know, you get a lot of maintenance costs, you get maybe a cheaper quality of tenant, but at the same time, you can't go gold plate everything, right? So there's always a balance there. Right. I think one of the biggest ones is that I come across a lot are toilets. (laughs) Why so? So in running the management company, a lot of times they'll come across broken toilets. In, In my experience, it is levels better, particularly if you don't know the age of the toilet or when it was installed, just install a new one. It's probably more water efficient that's going to save you on your water bill but also you have all brand new components. So a lot of times like the flapper breaks in the tank or there's other components that break in the tank. And to send a handyman out there, I'd call it 50 to $60 an hour plus parts. Maybe you're in there for like $75. We installed brand new toilets for 250, but those are higher efficiency toilets as well. So there's the trade-off. So maybe not 75 to 250 is the trade-off that you're looking for, but something to think about, right? To figure out where the value is and where you want to provide that value. Right. I've had a property before with a broken toilet flap, ran up the water bill to hundreds of dollars. You'd be surprised what just a broken toilet uh, flush kit can do, right? So right. you know, if you are paying those utilities, maybe it's in your best interest to upgrade that piece of equipment, that toilet that is right, and not have to worry about that incurred cost for maybe five, 10 years down the line. Most definitely. Awesome. So tell us, you know, you house hacked this fourplex. Going back to your story, what did that look like? What was your next step after that? Was it successful? Obviously, you're still in the real estate space, so you must have had some success with it. Yes. So I was trying to figure out where to go next. So the goal was to always amass a real estate portfolio that provided my family passive income, that I would have financial freedom, time freedom, and location freedom, right? But as I'm sitting there, I probably have a couple pennies to rub together <laughs> once I get that building up and running. 
and really banking on the cash flow to carry me. And I'm thinking, what do I do next? So wholesaling is always the hot topic for beginners. So I did get into wholesaling. I put up a bunch of bandit signs. I started spending $500 a month on yellow letters. And honestly, at that point, I had no idea how to sell anything. Like I had a degree in finance. I was a financial analyst. I was as much of an introvert as they come. So I'm sending these yellow letters. I'm getting these phone calls. And I am awkward AF on the phone. Like just (laughs) was not doing well until three months in. And I got the phone call. I knew it was a deal on the phone. And it turned out to be my first wholesale deal where I was able to generate an assignment fee of $15,000, which honestly is, I would say, kind of middle of the road for, for an assignment fee. Most assignment fees that we see locally would be between $2,500 and $5,000 just because the market's so highly competitive and we deal with still experienced sellers, even if they're distressed. But I was really excited for that. And I continued with it. I started mailing different lists. So that was a high equity list sending to multifamily landlords. I started mailing a probate list, and then I also mailed an inherited list. And that inherited list was the most difficult list I ever sent. Why is that? I've never received so many death threats in my life. People like sending my letters back and like postcards telling me they're going to kill me if I send another letter. <laughs> and I'm like, everyone's mad that they know that I know that they inherited the house when I didn't. So when I got on the phone and they said, hey, how do you know I inherited the house? I said, uh, I don't, which is a white lie. But I said, I just mail a high equity list. I figured that if it was a distressed property and there might be an opportunity for me to come in and buy it at a little bit of a discount to help you out. But throughout that process, I struggled with the inherited conversations. I struggled with the probate conversations. I figured out I was really good at talking to those tired landlords. And then that's when I found a partner and we decided to launch a property management business. So you kind of uh, take cutting your teeth in the wholesaling business, right? To find your niche. You feel that you kind of resonate with these tired landlords. So what about those folks? Was it easier for you to talk to them than obviously the probates or the inherited lists and all that other stuff? A lot of tired landlords don't set a process. So I always talk about Warren Buffett. So when Warren Buffett goes to analyze a stock, he has a set of rules that he uses in order to determine if he's going to purchase that stock. And this is based on years and years of experience. And I think the same thing rings true as a landlord, whether it be how you screen your tenants or how you purchase your properties, you need to have a set of guidelines that you follow that are really like your bread and butter that help you make the decisions in order to have success in the landlord game. I've always been extremely process-oriented, and a lot of these landlords just have a poor process. We put one under contract this morning where there's a gentleman who bought a two-family property, and he made a deal with the previous owner who was getting foreclosed on that he would live rent-free as long as he rehabbed the second floor, the second unit, and got it cash flowing. Four months later, no work has been done. The prior guy who was already getting foreclosed on has now lived rent-free for four months and he's calling us and we just stole a two-family. I say stole a two-family because we got it for a really good price in a competitive market, but it's because he had a poor process, right? He should have had it more documented. He said he had a verbal agreement for the free rent and it all falls down to process. So tell us what you're doing with these properties as you're able to acquire them in your wholesaling business. You're mailing now your niche of tired landlords. You're finding properties in your market. Are you turning around and buying them for your own portfolio, selling them to other investors? What were you doing at that time? Yeah. So five years ago when I was doing this, I'm selling them to other investors, right? And the cool part there is that was a natural segue into the property management business because if I have access to wholesale deals and I'm funneling to investors, well, those are investors that are really good at the the rehab and the flip. And if they're going to hold it, then they can pass it back to the property management business. Yeah. Awesome. And we got away from that for a few years, but now uh, we're getting back into the wholesale business. (laughs) As you can tell from my story, 
And we're working to funnel those to the great clients that we have in order to help them build their portfolios and build their wealth. There's a lot of negative stigma out there in the real estate investing space about starting your own property management company, right? Because it's not passive investing. It is, you know, building a business, having a day job as you're probably quite familiar with. So why did you, you know, I could understand why somebody might stumble into property management, but what made you stay there? So I had a background in systems. So I'm huge on the Myers-Briggs personality uh, Mm -hmm. profile. So I don't know if you're familiar with that. Yeah. So I am an INTJ mindset. So INTJs are called the architects. So my mindset pairs really well with building the systems. And then it was finding the right people to bring into our company to execute on those systems. The other thing that I realized is that in our local market, when an investor buys a rental property, income producing property, their target on residential property is to make $125 to $150 per door net per month in the long run. So mm-hmm. if you get a four unit, you're going to target to make, call it, you know, $500 to $600 per month net for the perpetuity of that property, hopefully. And then hopefully as rents increase, that gets a little bit larger, but that's the target. I realized that as a property manager with an average rent of $1,000 in our local market, if I charge a 10% management fee, I now have $100 per month worth of cash flow. And that's mm-hmm. gross income. Now, I don't have the exposure to the equity like the investor would, sure. but now I'm producing income via real estate investing. And it allows me to pursue what I really want to pursue. And that was dealing with real estate every day. Yeah, that's I was, awesome. I was stuck at the cube farm banging numbers into Excel, which is a part of the real estate investing game, but it, it just wasn't for me. So I had to find, find my way out of Shawshank. Yeah, sure. Let's talk about that transition from your nine to five, because many people, that is their goal, right? They get into a nine to five and while it's you know great, it pays the bills, people kind of want that freedom to go out and work for themselves and you know earn an income you know through real estate investing. So what did that uh, motivator look like for you there? It was a grind. But honestly, the property management company started after I caught a bad review at my nine to five. My manager did not let me get in a word. She kept telling me how average I was and how I wasn't going to equate to everything. She couldn't understand why I was so confident. And I walked back to my cube. <laughs> I sent a text to my now partner and I said, we're launching a property management company. It had always been an idea. He's like, hey, listen, let's grab a beer first. And a month later, we did launch the company. So he had experience. I knew that I had a kind of a knack dealing with uh, tired landlords and helping building systems. So it started out as a side hustle. So my partner would run it during normal business hours. I'd get out of my nine to five and I build it on nights and weekends. And then two and a half years later, it got to the point where I could quit my job and still provide for my family. How'd you go from zero to one in your property management company? How'd you get that first client? Yeah, so uh, it was a friend of my partner's girlfriend. So kind of one degree of separation. Mm -hmm. He had a three family in a D neighborhood of Providence, Rhode Island, and he had one really bad tenant. So it goes back to exactly the crux of why we get into it. It's that tired landlord. He said, I hate self-managing this. I need you guys to help me out. We came in, helped him get rid of the problem tenant, turned over the unit for short dollars and able to generate them $200 more per month in rent. Then we addressed the other units. And three months in, we were able to not only pay for ourselves, but actually generate more revenue for him. And a year later, he was actually able to sell the building at a $30,000 profit and then roll those proceeds into a building in a better neighborhood. When you can show an ROI like that to an investor, that's what they're really, truly concerned about, right? With So it's not that you're being just another line item on their expense sheet, but you are showing you know, your value and being able to keep that property rented at full market value and you know, all those good things, keeping maintenance costs low, keeping expenses low, keeping that unit kind of occupied. 
really shows the value you're bringing to that investor, I'm sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I have, uh, he's a mentor, but he was also a client at one point. And he always tells me, he says, Jimmy, I love when you talk numbers to me. (laughs) Right. And that's like, that's the investor talking. Like we always want to see the ROI and what we can deliver on. Yeah, sure. Well, seeing both sides of the fence coming from an investor perspective, having the property management background, what are some things you wish property investors knew about the property management world? Yeah. So one of the biggest things that I always harp on is that if you're only shopping for the cheapest property manager, you're in the wrong business. You want to find a property manager that shares a similar investment philosophy to deliver that value that you're looking for. Now, in in my local market, I'm not the cheapest and I'm not the most expensive, but I seek to deliver a tremendous amount of value to our clients. So when I get on that prospective client phone call, I want to talk to them about our approach and how we're going to generate that return on investment for them. And then that pricing conversation is secondary. I think that's really critical. A lot of times, prospective clients get on the phone and they're like, what's your price? All right, thanks, bye. Well, if you're only shopping based on price, you don't know how I'm going to handle your property. You don't know how I'm going to market to new prospective tenants, increase rents, develop a better ROI for you. And those are really important conversations that you need to have. Yeah, that's great. Well, what other things do you think an investor might be looking for in a property manager that you think are important? Yeah. So you want to find a property manager that has an established network, not only from vendors. And when I say vendors, like carpenters, electricians, plumbers, maybe folks that you have a tougher time getting out to the property, give you quotes, because that property manager can give those vendors a higher quality of work. But then those vendors typically give preferred pricing and they get out to the properties much more rapidly. So there's value there with the property manager. The other part is vendors in the sense of an established network with attorneys. And it's not only closing attorneys, but it can also be eviction attorneys, where in the event of an eviction, hopefully it's a lot less painful. And then the third piece in the network would be established relationships with financial institutions. We have established relationships with portfolio lenders that gain our clients much more financially beneficial mortgages on their properties. Do you think there's a balance for an investor seeking a property manager going with a really small firm versus a very large firm somewhere in the middle? I feel like if you're going with a really large property management company, maybe you're just another number in their database, right? You don't necessarily get that level of attention that you might be wanting. But if you go with the startup Jimmy company with you know one <laughs> one property under his belt, then you might not be confident in in that person's systems and processes and networks yet. Is there a balance yeah. there? Yeah, I think there absolutely is. Right. So a lot of people look for kind of like that hundred unit minimum. And this is just from my own personal experience, that hundred unit minimum to show that somebody's established, but you're right, they're going to be able to spend a lot more time with you versus kind of where we're at now. And I'm not saying that our smaller clients we don't provide try to provide a high level of care for. Sure. But the larger clients, because they have the more size portfolios, they are going to get a little bit more attention just because it's a broader breadth of work that we provide for them. Yeah, sure. So what are some scopes of services that you provide that might be a surprise to an investor? Obviously, you're collecting rents, you're handling maintenance requests, but some things I didn't think about were connecting with an investor with your portfolio lenders and things like that. So what are some other surprise services that people usually aren't aware of? Yeah. So I talk about intangibles and the management fee. And uh, (laughs) one of the other intangibles is that we'll work alongside realtors, right? So if you have a really top-notch realtor that you like to work with, we're not going to take you as a client from that realtor. We're going to work hand-in-hand with that realtor. So if you're going out to look at other multifamily properties, we're going to help you build that pro forma 
to make sure that you get into another cash flowing property. And that's really important. Yeah. Okay. That's a really cool value add kind of feature right there for your property manager. As an investor who's looking to hire a new property manager, what are some kind of interview questions you think are, are useful in asking that property manager? Yep. So one thing, I think you always ask them to review the rent roll and see if there's a way that you can increase the rents to generate more ROI and ask them their process of how they would analyze where the rent rolls should be. Right. So one of the big things that we do at our company is if we onboard a new client and they think that their rents are below market, we host what we call a safety inspection, right? So that allows me to be really nosy, but I reach out to the tenants and say, hey, listen, we're going to conduct a safety inspection. We want to make sure that the previous property manager or the landlord is providing a safe, comfortable place for you to live. So we go in and there may be a couple of maintenance requests that come out of it, but it really helps us establish a working relationship with that tenant. So when that rent increase comes, it's not as bad but it also helps the investor generate a better return on investment. So I yeah. think that's one process question that you should definitely ask. Like, How does a property manager evaluate your rent roll and when an increase is warranted? Now, as a property manager, how early in the process do you like to be involved with an investor? Is it as far as before they're closing on a property when they're still shopping for properties or would you rather the investor have already closed and you know, own the property? Is there a right timing there? Yep. So I would say the handshake needs to be clean when they purchase a property. If you purchase a property and the tenants get the owner's contact information, then they get our contact information as well. The name of the game for hiring a property manager is to get rid of your headaches. So if the tenant knows that they have the owner's number and our number, if I have to come in and drop the hammer as a property manager to address an issue, and they can reach out to the owner who might be a little bit softer, it might feel bad or put a little bit more emotion into it, they're going to play that mom versus dad game. And I think that that's going to lead to a lot of frustration for investors. So you kind of want to be that primary contact to the tenant. That's right. That's right. Because difficult tenants are always going to try to find whatever leverage they can to maximize their position. Yeah, great. Well, with your firm, Lion Property Management, you're focused in the Northeast and Rhode Island and Massachusetts, right? What are your kind of goals going forward? Is it to be the biggest property management company in the region? Is it to grow nationally? Is it to do what you're doing now? What does the future look like for you and your company? Yeah. So for a couple of years, I was very focused on onboarding units. But you know, recently, our company's really been focused on being the best. We're not concerned about being the biggest. We're very focused on being the best property manager in the area. And that's really important to the clients that we service. So now we've made a shift in 2020. We've hired a wholesaler. And then we're also going to start sending or hopefully increasing our marketing efforts so that we can continue to grow the portfolios of the investors that we really enjoy working with. And are you still buying properties for your own portfolio? So you know, being an investor on the side? Absolutely. Candidly, the market, we're really late cycle here. Cash flow is very expensive in my local market. So we've been more focused on flips. Yeah, so okay. finding those two to three unit properties where we can sell them back to an owner-occupied buyer and really maximize our after repair value. Yeah. Okay. I think one thing I see appealing from a possible owner-occupant perspective is if I'm going to buy a property from you, you obviously know the numbers, you know what it's going to rent for, you know what the management structure is going to look like. So I can take confidence in buying a property from you versus buying it from a realtor who is just you know kind of a retail residential realtor, if you will. Absolutely. And the big thing is, if we're selling that triplex, there's going to be two out of three units that are occupied, obviously one vacant for that owner-occupied borrower, but those are going to be market rents. 
I'm not going to play around with market rents because that's what's going to drive the value on the back end for us. But as the investor coming in to buy it, at least you know that you have units rented at market. Yeah. Awesome. Absolutely. So you're not necessarily focused on expanding to be the biggest property manager in the region, but more or less the best, the best quality, you know, having a really, I don't know, fine-tuned operation, if you will. That's it. Absolutely. Being a great property management company is all about process in order to deliver that return that our investors are seeking. Yeah. Okay. Well, before we wrap up with the lightning around, Jim, any kind of advice you'd like to give to potential property investors out there when it comes to looking for property managers, how to vet them, how to hire them, how to work with them throughout the process? Have a conversation to build a relationship. You got to realize as an investor, when you bring in a property manager, you should be on the same level as your property manager. You play side by side, lock, kind of locked in arms, right? If you have the relationship with your property manager where you're talking down to them, you don't see them on the same level. I think that that's not going to lead to a successful relationship. So when you bring in that property manager, they should be your cash flow consultant and play on the same level as them because real estate investing is a team sport. Yeah, really good point. Well, I'd probably be remiss if I didn't ask you for a good war story in your real estate experience as a property manager. You got an interesting story? Yeah. So the one that comes to mind, I'm not sure if this is PG enough for the podcast, but I'll try my best to keep it that way. All right. Um, <laughs> we had an eviction a couple summers ago and uh, the tenant didn't leave. So part of the process is if we can't scare them out, then we have to send in the constable and send in the movers and it can become very expensive very quickly. So myself and my partner went out to this property in a C minus D plus neighborhood, probably not the best area and uh, walked in, knocked on the door Try to get the tenant to move. She said, hey, listen, I'll be out in two days. Just give me a couple more days. Walk back down and walk out. And we see an extension cord. And the extension cord is coming out of the third story window. So uh, my partner, Chris, he's a bigger guy than I am. And uh, he storms back up the stairs. He bangs on the door like the police. And he's like, hey, listen, the extension cord has to go. Like, we're giving you guys two more days. You already haven't paid rent for the last two months. You're stealing right now. And the girl's like, we're not stealing. I've never stolen anything in my life. He's like, no, you're stealing electricity from the owner. You're not paying for it. Because the extension cord went from the third floor down the alley into the basement, into the common area electric panel. <laughs> she said, all right, no problem. I'll drop the cord out. So I was behind Chris and we're walking out. I'm the first one out into the alley. And her boyfriend starts yelling and swearing out the window. Hey, I'm not dropping the beep, beep, beep cord out the window. And I'm looking at him like, who are you? You're not even on the lease, right? We had got word that this kid might have been there. He had some domestic violence issues. Circling back, when she opened the door, she actually had a couple of black eyes, which is disgusting. I don't support that at all. So uh, I was always... Did you say black eyes? Yeah, black eyes. Yep. Wow. So uh, that doesn't sit well with me. A man would do that to a woman. So I was already a little tuned up from seeing that. Yeah. I gave him two options. I said, hey, listen, you can drop that cord out the window right now, or I'm going to come back up there. I'm going to throw you and the cord out the window. <laughs> and, uh, things escalated pretty quickly. He came running down the stairs. The cord did not come out the window. And we immediately called the police. And the police were three blocks away in an armed standoff. And it took them 15 minutes to get there. So uh, that was a pretty scary 15 minutes. He did end up packing up his cord and, and peeling out in the backyard. So fortunately, we got out of there. But sometimes you're going to come in with that strong force to make sure that you can get those tenants out if you need to. Yeah, sure. What lessons learned were from that scenario? Yeah, send the constable or uh, definitely bring my concealed carry the next time I'm there so uh, I can go home to my family in case things go sideways. Yeah, sure. Probably stay away from those D plus areas as well, huh? Yeah, yeah. They're a little bit more challenging, even if you are kind of chasing that higher yield. 
they're definitely challenging. Awesome. Well, Jim, hey, it's been a lot of fun talking with you about the world of property management. Admittedly, it's not one that I know a ton about in terms of you know hiring a professional property manager. So lots of good information there. And I'm sure the same thing for the listeners. As we're wrapping up here, we've got a lightning round, just a series of questions we'd like to fire at you. Are you up for it? Absolutely. Let's go. Awesome. The first question is, what was your biggest hurdle getting started investing in real estate? And then what did you do to overcome that? Yeah. So it was getting an education. Like I have that, I'll circle back on my architect mindset. And it's, I get stuck in a little bit of analysis paralysis sometimes. So it was working to gain that education. So I went to school for finance. I didn't know anything about real estate. I knew a lot about stocks and executed on that pretty well. But it was going out there, networking, finding mentors, leveraging bigger pockets, and listening to podcasts in order to develop that education to make me comfortable enough to then go ahead and take action. Yeah. Awesome. Do you have a personal habit that contributes to your success? Absolutely. So my daily habit is to read 20 pages. Ah, and that's, okay. and, and I know that that sounds a little bit different than probably what most folks say, but I found that reading keeps me consistently educated and helps me build on the skills that I already have. Yeah, I love it. Well, we'll jump to the fourth question in the lightning round before we go to the third that leads into what book would you recommend to the listeners and why? Awesome. So I've been dropping this one a lot lately. I came across it over the summer. It's called The Wealthy Gardener. Not a lot of folks have heard about this one. That was the best book I've read in my entire life. I used to always recommend The Richest Man in Babylon, which is a very easy read. Mm -hmm. The Wealthy Gardener, through stories and his experiential learning, talks about or relays information in a way that if you read that, whether it's real estate related or you just want to be successful in whatever pursuit you're chasing, that book's going to help you get there. And it references a lot of other books that I found really important in my reading journey. Awesome. That's The Wealthy Gardener. I've not heard of it myself, so definitely going to pick that up. We'll link that in the show notes if our audience members want to do the same. Jim, do you have an online resource that you find valuable in your day-to-day? Yeah, absolutely. So a local investor in the Rhode Island market, he pulled together something called RI Prop Info, but it links all the tax assessors databases and then any other relevant information that you need. So anytime we go to scrub a deal, we're going out there. Just recently, I was able to review a wholesale deal where the wholesaler was offering the deal at a certain price only to find out that there are a couple of really large tax liens on that property. So I would say anytime you see a deal, always conduct your due diligence. That's RI Prop Info. That's Rhode Island, I'm assuming, for your regional yep. market. So if anybody happens specific. to be up in that market, definitely check that out. I wish something Perfect. existed like that in mind. Perhaps it does. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Jim, last question in the lightning round. If you were to give advice to your 20-year-old self to get started investing in real estate, what would you go back and tell yourself? Take a ton of action. Like I've always been very focused on do a lot of research and then take action. But take a lot of action because time heals all wounds in real estate when you're buying cash flow property. Even if you buy something more expensive, inflation is going to continue to rise. Rents are always going to go up. Even if the market pulls back, time works to your benefit. I love it. Well, Jim, hey, it's been a lot of fun having you on, talking about the world of property management, how you got started from that very first house hack to now controlling. Well, we didn't touch on that. How many units are you (laughs) under management with your property management now? Just to give us some magnitude. We currently have 600 units under management. Yeah. Wow. So from that very first fourplex to now 600 units under management in just a short amount of time as well. Absolutely. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I started to wrap up, but I've got a couple more questions here before we do (laughs) so. 
you know, we've talked about your journey and how you've done it. And it's a very relatable one to many people out there from that very first fourplex house hack to, you know, the other, the next one and the next one doing the wholesaling business now having the property management business. Do you think your path is, you know, scalable and achievable by, you know, just your average person out there willing to take action? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's amazing. The tools that we have out there from educating yourself from podcasts like this one or other online forums all the way through the financial products that we have access to now. So I think it's very easily achievable. It's hard work though. So as long as you're willing to put in the hard work, you can figure out the rest. Yeah, that's the key. Awesome, Jim. Hey, it's been a lot of fun talking with you. You're no stranger to the mic, actually. You host your own podcast. So tell us a little bit about that. Absolutely. So local to the, I'll call it the Southeastern New England market, we host a podcast called The Cashflow Kings. So if anybody's local to my market or even across the country thinking about investing in our local market, great podcast to listen to where we just give back, you know, no advertisements, just to hopefully provide a ton of great value to help you succeed in your investing journey. Awesome. And then tell us about where people could look for your property management company if they were interested in learning more about that. Yep. So the best way is to check us out on our website is lion, L-Y-O-N, propertygroup.com. Just shoot us an email through the website and we can schedule a time to connect if you're interested. Awesome. We'll link both of those in the show notes. That's lionpropertygroup.com. And of course, the Cashflow Kings podcast. Check that out if you haven't. Jim, hey, it's been a lot of fun having you on. Thanks so much. Absolutely. Thanks, Jacob. All right. Take care. All right. That wraps up this week's episode with our guest, Jim Murray. Hey, I hope you got so much value from today's conversation. For more information and all those resources we mentioned in the show, you can find those, as always, in the show notes by going to www.jacobayers.com forward slash 282, the episode number, where you can find the links to all those books, resources, Jim's podcast, and of course, the website. Well, hey, I really appreciate you listening in this week. If you like what you heard, please go over and leave a rating and review on whichever platform you're listening on. As always, for more information, resources, and to connect with me, you can do so at www.jacobayers.com. Till next week, engineer the lifestyle you want. You've been listening to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast, providing you actionable content to build your real estate empire. Nothing on this show should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for personal advice. The opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have a potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom, LLC, exclusively.